Howdy, everybody. This is David Sanchez, and you are listening to the second episode so, so, of, of, of the Riffs or Die podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 29, 202, zero, or 2020, as the kids are calling it. The year of hindsight. If this is the second time you've tuned in, thank you very much for listening to the first one. And if this is the first time you're hearing this podcast, welcome and thanks for tuning in. I'd like to start out the show by giving a shout out to the Patreon subscribers that signed up in the higher tiers. Gotta give a shout out to literally my brother, Ike Sanchez, or as I call him, Eichel Jackson. Ryan Habercorn, James Torres, and Daniel Zamora. Thank you guys very, very much for those contributions. If you want to sign up for bonus episodes of this podcast, exclusive merch items, big fat discounts on the web store, and uh, early access to new merch items and access to the patron-only feed, go to patreon.com slash die to sign up there. I'm considering doing something where the first um, certain number of people that subscribe get some sort of a special item. I just need to figure out the number that I want to cap that at. But I'd like to do something special and cool for the first people that signed up and subscribed to the Patreon. I'm sure a lot of you know that I do a little bit of mixing work here and there. I am an audio engineer and I work at music venues doing monitors in front of house, but I also do mixing and mastering of studio recordings for bands. And I've got a new mix that should be coming out sometime this week. Hopefully by the time you are hearing this, it's only a couple days away or it's already out. The project was a pretty extensive collaboration between a lot of artists making a cover song and I did a little bit of vocals on it and I got to mix and master it. So... When that is out, please share your feedback with me. I'd love to hear what you guys think of the mix and master. And if you're interested in having me mix or master any of your band stuff, hit me up at info at riffsordie.com. I'd be happy to talk with you about mixing and mastering your stuff. So quite a few people have reached out to me and hit me up about the podcast and seem to be digging it. So thank you very much for listening, and I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it so far. There's plenty more to discuss. In episode one, I talked a lot about Nikola Tesla and uh, some of the mixing projects that I've been working on, but I went into pretty good detail about Tesla's life and wireless electricity and just the ideas of making the world a little bit better through more sustainable technology that's safe and good for the planet, polluting less and enhancing the quality of life for everyone on this earth. In today's episode, I would like to talk about another thing that I think could really change how we live in society and has the potential to restructure everything. Now, the thing I'm talking about is called an earth ship. An earth ship is a sustainable home that's been made mostly out of recycled materials. You can grow your own food indoor year-round, regardless of the climate. You harvest rain and snow water, so you have your own drinking water supply. They have no heating or cooling system, 
no no machines anyways. It just uses natural airflow and convection to heat and cool the house and uh, use solar panels or wind to get your electricity. So you're completely off of the grid in an earth ship. Now, this is a way that I see we can get ourselves off of the rat wheel. Once the building is paid for, you don't really have any bills minus uh, some gas to use the stove and the oven and your gas-assisted hot water and your water filtration. So your only bills are your gas and your water filtration. Other than that, you're golden after the building is paid off. Granted, you've got to pay property taxes, but that's a whole other fucking story. So these houses have the potential to change the entire way we live. It can get you out of debt and it makes you completely self-reliant. You don't need the system to survive. You would be just fine if shit hit the fan. You'd have your own water supply. You would have your own food supply. You'd have your own electricity. You would not freeze to death. You would not burn to death. You wouldn't starve to death. They're really amazing buildings. And I actually went to Taos, New Mexico, where there is the first and biggest community of earth ships in the whole world. I went down to Taos, New Mexico and just stayed in an earth ship for three nights and had a really, really great time there. The stars out in the middle of the desert are insane. And it was very cool and never ran out of hot water, never ran out of electricity. Indoors, it stayed between 68 and 72 degrees Fahrenheit. I would say, give or take, right around there. Super comfortable all night, super comfortable all day. And uh, I'll be sharing a video of what they look like inside sometime soon. But you can go on Google or YouTube and just look up Earth ships and start doing some research for yourself. These buildings are made out of mostly recycled materials. The main walls of the house are made out of old tires that otherwise are pretty useless. But you pack them with dirt with a sledgehammer. Each tire winds up weighing like 300, 400 pounds. And those are creating your main walls of the house on the... If you're in the northern hemisphere, you want your windows facing south and you make the main tire walls facing the north. But with those main tire walls facing north, you've got like a almost three foot wall that's uh, encased with more earth on the other side. So they're very well insulated, uh, very well protected from the elements, virtually fireproof. I would highly doubt they would ever fall over in an earthquake. They're literally rock solid. And they're pretty funky looking. Some people might be reminded of Tatooine and Star Wars when they look at them. They kind of look like little hobbit homes or something, but they're super cool. I was already about 99% sure that I wanted to build one of these things. But now that I've gone out there and I've stayed in one for a few days, I'm 100% sure that I want to build one of these. Earth ships just seem like the answer for getting off of the rat wheel to not be working all the time and constantly paying bills with a traditional home. You're paying a lot of bills. Even after the whole home is paid off, paying a lot of electricity, water, heating, 
extra electricity for having your AC running and then septic or like sewage. And with the earth ship, you cut so much of that out of the equation in the long run, saving tons and tons of money. So the way they work is they use rainwater and snow and they use that water four different times before it actually goes to the septic tank and is declared actual waste. The first time your water comes in, it gets filtered and um, you use it to wash your hands and to drink and for cooking and for taking a shower. After you shower, wash your hands or whatever, that water gets filtered and it goes and into your indoor greenhouse that's on the south side of your building. Again, in the northern hemisphere. If you're in the southern hemisphere, you're going to want your windows facing the equator. Obviously, that would be to the north. But for the sake of practicality, I think most listeners are probably in uh, the northern hemisphere, so I'm just going to talk about it as if you're there. Sorry, people down under South America, you're just going to have to deal with it. So after the rain or the snow falls onto your house, it gets filtered and you use it to take a shower or wash your hands or, you know, use it for drinking water or whatever. And after it gets used in that way, it goes down the drain and it goes and automatically waters your indoor garden, your little greenhouse in the front of the house that's facing the sun. And after it's filtered through those plants, it becomes what they call gray water. That gray water then gets filtered again and it goes into your toilets. Obviously, we don't need the cleanest water ever to go to the bathroom in. So that's the third time that your water is getting used. Number one was showering, washing your hands. Number two is watering your indoor garden. Number three is in your toilet. And as soon as you flush your toilet, it goes outside And it waters whatever outdoor plants you have. That could be flowers or trees or bushes or whatever you got. It gets filtered again and then it goes finally to the septic tank. So you wind up using this water multiple times between it falling onto your property and it going into the septic tank. It's pretty ingenious. And the guy that invented the concept, his name is Michael Reynolds. There's a really great documentary about this guy. You can find it on, uh, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. It's called Garbage Warrior. And that's how I was introduced to Earthships. I can't remember if someone told me about Earthships or if I just stumbled upon it on a YouTube rabbit hole some night. But I watched that documentary and it completely blew my mind. This guy, Michael Reynolds, who basically founded this community out in Taos, New Mexico. He's like a legit trained engineer and architect. And his whole thing was kind of like, Why the hell are we still making houses the same way that we made them in 1850? The house hasn't really changed very much in the last couple hundred years. It's essentially the same kind of structure, a lot of the same amenities, and it hasn't really updated with the time. And I I guess one of the things that was apparent to him at some point was the notion that a natural resource everywhere on the planet is garbage. There's so much reusable garbage on the planet that's just winding up in the oceans and not doing anybody any good. This guy figured out how to utilize that garbage and do something productive and useful with it. I think the guy's a super genius and 
His ideas and inventions are very, very cool. And I literally stayed inside of one of them for a half a week. And I have nothing but great things to say about it. It was super comfortable. It was eco-friendly. You were completely self-sufficient and off the grid. There's so much to be said for that. So I think I've told you the long story short here. If any of this stuff made your ears perk up and you're interested, definitely go on Google or YouTube and look up Earthships. You could learn a whole lot about them from watching some videos on YouTube. It's a really exciting thing. They've been around for a long time, but I tell people about them all the time when I go camping or get into a conversation with somebody at a party. It's something that excites me and it comes out of my mouth often, but most people don't have a clue what they are. I've never even heard of them. I'm trying to get the word out because I think it could make a really positive impact in our society as a whole, especially with all the nonsense that's going on nowadays. I think it's looking more and more attractive to be completely self-reliant and off of the grid and not reliant on the system whatsoever for your food, water, or electricity. I'm really glad that the inventor of those, Michael Reynolds, chose to do what he's done with his life. I think about that stuff pretty often. Comedians that I love, uh, artists that I love, uh, inventors, people like this. I'm so grateful for them choosing to do with their life what they did. Guys like Mel Brooks or George Carlin or Leonardo da Vinci, or Salvador Dali, people like this, I'm very, very glad that they chose to do what they did with their life. Could you imagine if somebody like Salvador Dali was a bank teller, or if George Carlin was working at a car wash? And not in the movie. I mean working at a car wash. We would live in such a different world. It would completely change the course of history. It would completely change the course of history and maybe not in a good way. So to all the eccentric people out there, the artists, the nerds, the inventors, the writers, thanks for doing what you do. I appreciate it. And I know tons of other people do too, but maybe they don't get a chance to express it. So on behalf of people who enjoy art and invention and innovation, thank you. Speaking of art and innovation, I just saw the movie Dune for the first time. The one from 1984 that was directed by David Lynch. I had never seen it. I've wanted to see it for a long time, but never really had the time, I guess. Never really thought about watching it when I did have the free time. But I finally got around to seeing it, and that was a fucking rad movie. It was a little cheesy in some places, but that's kind of to be expected for a 1980s sci-fi movie. But the costumes are very cool. Story was great. I think the guy that wrote it was called Frank Herbert. Named Frank Herbert. I just spoke like a fucking European there. The man was called Frank Herbert. Some of the special effects were very, very well done for the time as well. But the concept of the movie was very interesting and um, a lot of it really followed the 
Joseph Campbell hero's journey kind of thing, which we see over and over and over again in the great stories and movies throughout time, especially in recent history. I just saw that they're making a new Dune movie that's going to be coming out sometime later this year, early 2021. And that looks super badass. I can't wait to see that when that comes out. Now that I've seen the original from 1984. While I was out there in Taos, I also watched another movie for the, I think the fourth time I've seen it. It's one of my favorite movies. It became one of my favorite movies the first time I saw it. And that movie is called The Holy Mountain by a guy named Alejandro Jodorowsky. It is one of the most weird movies I've ever seen in my life. But I love that it's weird and it's incredibly metaphorical. Practically every scene is just blanketed in metaphor. And when you're watching that movie, it's so absurd and abstract. You could watch it and get absolutely nothing from it and just think that you're watching a bunch of a bunch of horse shit. Or if you're looking at it with a different mindset, you could get a ton out of that movie. I guess it all depends on where your head is and the kind of mood that you're in and how deeply you look into things. But it's one of the most artistic movies I've ever seen in my life. It's shot beautifully. It's very weird and absurd, but I really love a lot of the messages in the movie, and there's a lot that you can get out of it. It deals with uh, a lot of criminals in our society, the kinds of people that are running a lot of industry. And in the end, these fucked up people are trying to figure out how to transcend themselves and uh, transcend their notion that all they're after is money. There's got to be something more to life. There's a lot of really cool scenes in this movie, and it'll make you think if you're into it. I would totally be able to understand if people watch The Holy Mountain and are not into it and just don't like it, uh, think it's just trash. I could understand if someone's not into it because it is definitely, admittedly, weird as fuck. But if you're into artistic stuff and like to dive deep in some fucking bizarre film, definitely check out The Holy Mountain. I think it came out in the mid-70s sometime. And I believe there's a new 4K remaster version that just came out. And on the topic of Alejandro Jodorowsky, there's another movie that I watched while I was out there in Taos. And... It's called Jodorowsky's Dune, and it's about the story of Dune. And Alejandro Jodorowsky was supposed to make a film of Dune long before the 1984 one came out. There was supposed to be a feature film that was Dune that had all kinds of fucking insane people working on it. Tons of work was put into this. An entire book was made. Um, with a, a comic book artist, the guy that did the art for the comic books called Blueberry, I believe. And he basically sketched the entire movie scene by scene, obviously without actual animation with all the motion, but it would describe the camera motions underneath the drawing. 
And this guy had like classic sci-fi book cover artists working on this movie, designing some of the spaceships and characters and things like this. It even had like H.R. Geiger or if you're in Switzerland or Germany, they call him H.R. Giger. But the dude that made, you know, all of the stuff for Alien and made album covers for all kinds of bands. Danzig used some Geiger or Giger artwork. Same with uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And a handful of other bands have used his stuff. And Geiger or Giger, however you want to say it, has inspired so many artists. It's kind of insane. He was working on this Dune movie with Jodorowsky long before Alien was even made. And actually, the guy that made Alien was also on the team designing some of the special effects and stuff for this Jodorowsky's Dune. And the whole premise of this documentary is talking about this movie that was like the most epic, most well-done, most creative, and just ahead-of-its-time movie ever made, but it never got made. Millions and millions of dollars were spent in the creative process, in the writing and the scripting and casting and design and everything to get this movie like kind of off the ground. And in the end, right before it was going to get sold to some of these, some of these studios to make it a real thing, they all pulled out because Alejandro Jodorowsky had just put out the Holy mountain and everyone thought he was a complete kook. They didn't want him to direct it, but taking away such a, personal big project from a guy that is involved with the whole thing from day one you can't really do that it won't be the same that's like having Stevie Wonder write an entire song and arrange it and make all the lyrics and cut all the demos for it and then when it's time to make the real thing he doesn't play any of the parts or sing on any of it you just suck all the magic out of the whole thing doesn't make any sense so I can understand why uh, Jodorowsky didn't want to see someone else take his project from him. Salvador Dali had fucking agreed to play one of the parts in that movie. And they just had so many crazy things all just line up. The planet seemed to align for that movie to be incredible. And it, sounds like it's the coolest movie that never got made anyways if you're into dune or into any of jodorowsky's stuff you might want to check that movie out on a completely different note i think we're all in for a good laugh this week there's supposed to be some debates between donald trump and joe biden I'm actually not terribly interested in a lot of mainstream political stuff because I don't really like either party. I don't think we've had a real president since JFK. And uh, I think, generally speaking, they're wildly full of shit, and I distrust them. The two major parties seem to always be interested in expanding their power wherever possible and making the government bigger and more inflated, and making it more against you, the people. That all being said, I think we're in for a real good laugh this week. 
There's supposed to be a debate between those two knuckleheads. And I can't wait to watch it, honestly. I think it's going to be the funniest presidential debate that ever happened. I hope that it goes on without a hitch. And I can watch it and laugh my ass off at what's virtually an uh, an old man that's kind of lost his, his marbles and uh, a professional insult comic. It's definitely going to be entertaining, to say the least. So, <clears throat> you know, ever since Ross Perot came in and kind of shook things up in was the late 80s or early 90s. Anyways, he came out as an independent running for president and he got a lot of people thinking about not voting for the two quote-unquote major parties. And ever since he came in and kind of ruffled some feathers, they rewrote like the rules for the presidential elections. And that's why we don't see third-party candidates up on the stage at all. We don't see anybody from the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, the Constitutionalist Party. Um, None of this stuff. It's completely insane and very, very fucked up that we have more than two options for presidential candidates, but we don't get to hear from any of them and they're not welcome into the conversation when it comes to debating on television. There's so many things that are corrupt and fucked up with our political system here and i think that is one of the giant ones a lot of other countries have multiple parties to pick from here we're we're sold the illusion that we only have two choices and that's all it is it's an illusion you have the illusion of choice between these two parties that are essentially two heads of the same snake both parties are the party of war both parties are interested in expanding government Both parties are not interested in maximizing your freedom. Both parties are in bed with banks and corporations. So, I mean, they really only defer on social issues. That's why a lot of people, when they're talking about Havoc, especially in interviews and stuff, I get asked, you know, about Havoc being a political band. I tend to think that we're not really a political band. We're anti-political. I'm not telling you which way to vote. Vote for one way or the other. To me, that's what a political band would do. We kind of put the whole system on blast and just trash the whole thing because it's all fucked up and corrupt and bullshit. I'm not trying to get anybody's mind changed to vote for one side of the aisle or the other. I want people to wake up and realize that both parties are fucked up. And what we need is a complete overhaul of the system as it stands because we keep getting proven time and time again that the way it is does not work. It's not good for freedom. It's not good for the general populace. It's good for big corporations, lifelong politicians, people that own stocks in private prisons, the war machine, and the people that make machines for war. Neither of these supposed two major parties give a shit about people. They're only interested in their own power and expanding it wherever possible. Yes, that is a line that I bit basically from George Carlin, but he's completely right. The guy was super funny, super smart, and basically a stand-up philosopher. I learned a lot from that guy. George Carlin basically like raised me in my adolescent years. When I was a young teenager, I started reading all of Carlin's books and watching his specials and stuff. 
I got way into that guy and so much of how I view the world and the reason I think so many fucked up things are funny is because I'm a huge George Carlin fan. That guy opened my eyes to a lot of crazy things in the world that we live in, made me realize that there's corruption everywhere you look and there's a lot of people that are only interested in fucking things up, not making things better. And that guy had a magical power to make us all laugh while he was making points like that. I think if there was like a Mount Rushmore of stand-up comedians, he would definitely have to be on there. Almost any stand-up comedian that you like probably looks up to George Carlin. Dude was an amazing speaker and had a really brilliant abstract mind. He wasn't thinking like normal people. And I, I really admire that guy. Carlin had a really great bit called The American Dream. And uh, (laughs) if you're ever bored, go look up some George Carlin clips. But that American Dream one is great. At the end of it, he says, It's called The American Dream because you'd have to be asleep to believe it. So while a lot of this country is asleep at the wheel, I will be joining some of these Lovely folks in watching those debates. I'm hoping that these debates are hilarious. I think it'd be a perfect representation of where our political and electoral systems are at the moment. They're fairly laughable, and I think this will be a a good example. All right, enough with all that dumb shit. Let's get to some questions for the week. I had quite a few of you write into me, and I really appreciate when you guys do that. It gives me something to talk about, and hopefully it gives us a little bit of a conversational feeling, like we're drinking some tea and having some biscuits. If you want to write in with a question or a comment about the show, hit me up at podcast at riffsordie.com. All right, yeah, let's get into these questions for the week. First one says, what up, David? Congrats on the successful launch of the podcast. I appreciate being schooled on Tesla too and have since gone down that rabbit hole. It was impressive to listen to you talk about lyric, writing, and drum recording in episode one as well. I'm always fascinated by different bands' writing processes. Can you talk about your slash the band's process in writing a complete song specifically guitar parts. Is there a lot of collaboration or is it more a solo venture? Do you come to the table with a complete song typically or a riff? Thanks for your time. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks for writing in. and I'm really glad that you are digging the show so far. Hmm. There's kind of a lot to unpack here, but let's see. Could you talk about the process in writing a complete song, specifically guitar parts? Well, A lot like I discussed in the last episode with um, lyrics, for guitar, I'll kind of do the same thing. I've got like a riff pile. Some of them are recorded as videos on my phone or audio messages that I saved on my phone. Some of them are in my computer in Pro Tools. And uh, I just have like a a riff arsenal. And Reese does the same thing. We just kind of record riffs as they come. And eventually we've got, some things to reference what I did on our last record that really helped a lot is when I would save the riff 
um, file and add it to the riff pile folder, I named it with like the BPM first. So like 165 beats per minute. And then the key that it was in. And then the name of the riff. Like, you know, 165 E uh, Evil Gallop or whatever. And just give it a, a name for whatever fits that riff. But that was very, very helpful when it was time to put some songs together. I would go and visit my riff library and I'd see like, oh, cool. I've got like four different riffs that are all right around 200 BPM. Maybe some of those will go together. And I would, uh, you know, try to work on some pairings of some of those. And every once in a while, it just works. You pair together a couple of riffs and you've already got a big chunk of the song like kind of coming together. And sometimes I'll write an entire song. Sometimes Reese will write an entire song. Um, and and uh, quite often we do put our riffs together to make a whole song. But yeah, there's been plenty of times where uh, I just have brought a complete song to the table. But more often, especially in the last couple records, it's been where I've got some ideas. I bring them to everybody else. Uh we throw one of Reese's riffs in there too. And then we kind of start collaborating on how the drums and bass and um, the guitar harmonies and things like that work out. But, uh, you know, it, it, it can be done either way. The good results have come from both, both ways, but typically I think it's a good idea to stockpile riffs, just have like a riff library that you've made. My tip for you is, uh, saving the file names with the BPM, the key, and then the name of the riff. That could come in handy big time when it's when it's time to start slapping riffs together to make a song. Another question here says, Great show. Imagining a time when live shows are a thing again, what is a good way to approach band members without coming across as too much of a fanboy? Is it better before or after a show? If a band is working their merch booth after a show, I will usually just say good set, buy a shirt, and walk off, wishing I would have gotten a picture. As a 35-year-old man, it just feels odd asking someone to take a picture with them, even if it's a band I love. What's your take on interacting with fans at venues and the best approach to do so? First saw you guys play with the Casualties and Goat Whore at the Oakland Metro in 2013. Been to every Havoc show in the Bay Area, Santa Cruz, and Sacramento ever since. Thank you. Well, that's fucking cool, dude. Thanks a lot for the years of support. That's fucking super cool. Uh, the best way to approach a band members without coming across is too much of a fanboy. I don't know. I guess like try to not start unzipping the band members' pants or something. Don't bring your knee pads to the show. Um, don't start foaming at the mouth when you see them. Those are all good things to do. I know that me and my band are pretty happy to do it if we're hanging out at merch. If you just walk straight up to us and they're like, hey, dude, really big fan. I love your music. Blah, blah, blah. You don't even have to say that. You could be like, hey, dude, can we get a picture? And, uh, you know, generally speaking, most dudes, especially if they're in bands and they're hanging out at their own merch table, they'll be down to take a picture real quick. I think instead of like hyping it up and putting it on this pedestal, just knock it out. And like make it happen. Get that photo out of the way and 
then maybe you can open the door toward having a conversation about something else. But I don't think you should avoid taking pictures with band members, especially if they're out there in in the uh, crowd, you know, and accessible. I think a good way to get in with um, band members often is, especially if they're like alcohol drinkers or something, you ask them like, hey, dude, do you want a drink? And if they say, yeah, you just say, what do you want to drink? And fucking go buy it and bring it back to the thing. Bring it back to the merch table. They'll probably be happy to have a drink with you and bullshit with you. Typically, I would say it's probably best to do it before the show. Um, after the show, like there's all the adrenaline. You're kind of trying to like wind down, I guess. And um, I guess long before the band set is a much more lax time to try to bullshit with a band member than to do it right before they play or right after they play. That's kind of the most like intense part of the entire day when you're on tour, the, the couple hours, maybe the hour leading up to your set. And then the hour after your set, that window of time right there is kind of like super high intensity and adrenaline pumping. And that's not the best time to try and have a conversation with somebody. That would be like if you were a construction worker and you were on a construction site and I came up and tried to talk to you right when you were in the middle of jackhammering something. It's just not the best time to have a conversation like that. But if you can catch somebody in the right moment, most guys that I've ever toured with are pretty cool and uh, pretty easy to talk to. So good luck with that. And I hope that you don't come off like some psycho fanboy. The best way to avoid looking like a psycho fanboy is to avoid being one so relax out there buddy now you'll you'll do just fine you sound like a really nice guy and uh thanks for being down for the cause and supporting heavy metal myself and a lot of my peers all really appreciate people like you so thank you all right i got a couple more questions here and then we're gonna wrap this baby up This one says, what's up, David? Just wanted to say I'm a huge fan of your work with Havoc and the podcast. My question is, if you could give your 15 to 16-year-old self advice about the band, what would it be? I guess this could also answer any advice for new bands starting up. Well, first off, thanks a lot for the kind words. It's very cool. And advice for my 15 or 16-year-old self. Well, let's see. When I was like... 19 years old, I think. I met Frank Bello out at NAM in California. And uh, this was after the convention, just when everyone's hanging out and going to see Paul Gilbert play or whatever. But I saw Frank Bello and I talked to him for a minute. This was long before we ever toured with Anthrax. I didn't know I was ever going to. But I'll never forget that Frank Bello stopped me and he told me, all right, kid, just remember this. This whole industry is based on lies. And that has stuck with me for the longest time. I'll never forget it. This industry really is all built on, uh, you know, kind of taking advantage of artists. And that's how this business exists. A lot of the business tactics and things that are in play today were written and, uh, you know, started like 100 years ago when recordings were new. And a lot of this stuff was like all mobster run and 
really straight up gangster tactics. A lot of those same exact ideas are still in play today. So if you're going to be in this industry, you got to be well prepared to get your heart broken a lot. A lot of things that you think and hope will happen don't work out. And, uh, you know, if you don't have thick skin, it's very hard to survive in this industry. Everybody is a critic. Everybody wants to talk shit. Um, A lot of people are not going to be happy when you succeed. And a lot of things that you're promised and a lot of things that you want are just simply not going to happen. But the biggest lesson that I've learned in my career is that persistence pays off. If you really want something and you constantly work toward a goal, eventually you're going to wind up there. Slow progress is still progress. If you don't work for something, you're likely never going to get it. It's not going to fall into your lap. But if you're constantly working toward a goal, you can realistically make it happen. You just need to not stop. Persistence really does pay dividends. And that same thing goes for all kinds of things in life. You can have the things that you want. You just need to make a plan And work your ass off toward that goal. Anything that you've ever seen someone else accomplish, you can accomplish. The fact that someone else has already done it is the proof that it's possible. So why couldn't you do it? Always remember that persistence will pay off. If you want anything bad enough, you keep working your ass off at it, you will have it. You will obtain your goals. Just like a day is as good or as bad as you let it be, your goals are as easy or as difficult as you want them to be. There's a lot that's within your hands. There's a great Suicidal Tendencies lyric from the song called Gotta Kill Captain Stupid. He says, oh, so now you say life sucks. Well, 99% of it's what you make of it. So if your life sucks, you suck. I love that line. Because it really is true. There's like only 1% of your life that's not up to you. The other 99% of the time, it's all up to you. Happiness is a choice. Being successful, that's a choice. Being miserable, that's a choice. Your, your day can really be as good or as bad as you want it to be. It really is up to you. There's 1% of your life, roughly, that you don't have any control over. And that's the shit you got to deal with. That's the stuff that's going to thicken your skin and, you know, really test your character and allow you to figure out what you're made of. But generally, it's up to you how your day goes. And it's up to you how much work you're willing to put in for the things that you want. So so what would I tell my 15 or 16-year-old self? Uh, I would say just keep fucking going. Keep going. As long as there's some progress... Every day or every week or every year or whatever. As long as there's some progress and you're moving forward, eventually you're going to wind up where you want to be. So work hard and have a goal in mind. And uh, once you achieve that goal, make a new goal and work towards that. I think that's a recipe for success in any line of work or in any venture that someone wants to pursue in life. Persistence pays. And finally, in the last corner, we have the last question. 
fun of the podcast. This person writes, hey, David, big fan. Um, The fan in this room is actually not very big, but I'll take your word for it. I was wondering what strings you and Reese use. I'll answer this one right now. I use Ernie Ball, skinny top, heavy bottom. That's 10 to 52. And Reese uses the hybrid slinky Ernie Balls, which I think is 9 to 46. Moving on with the rest of the question. This writer says, and secondly, are you planning on bringing on the guys from Havoc and maybe some other friends of yours that are in bands or work in music like the guys in Warbringer? All of this would, of course, be on Zoom or something like that. P.S. You guys are a huge inspiration to me. Can't wait to see what the future holds with the band. Thank you very much. That's super cool. Every time you guys compliment um, the band or the podcast or something or say that you're a huge fan or were inspirational to you or something like that, it's always kind of like weird to process that for me because I'm just like a regular dude. And, uh, you know, I don't sit back and like analyze everything I do and think about this stuff. So it's very, very cool to hear this kind of stuff from you guys. I really do appreciate it. And, um, if it ever sounds like I'm downplaying my appreciation, uh, I I hope it doesn't come off as rude or something. I really do appreciate it, but it's a, it's a strange compliment to process. I think it was Jimi Hendrix that said way back in the day that he doesn't like compliments because he finds them distracting. I, I kind of understand where he's coming from with that. So um, what I'm basically saying is write in and talk more shit to me. If you want, you don't have to do that. So planning on bringing the guys from Havoc and maybe some other friends. Yeah, absolutely. I plan on eventually having some guests on. I'm not going to have a guest on every every episode. I don't want to have to schedule other people to come in and make it like a giant pain in the ass for scheduling and stuff. But every once in a while, I would love to have a guest on. I've already thought about that. And I've got a long list of artists of all kinds and um, other cool people that I would love to hit up and see if they're down to come on here and talk some shit. If you guys have any suggestions of people that I should try to get on this podcast, feel free to write in and let me know. You can hit me up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or you can write me an email at podcast at com. I'd love to hear from you guys. And yeah, sometime in the next like month, maybe two months max, expect to hear somebody else on here. I know a lot of really cool people and I think it'd be super fun to get them on here to be able to talk about music or anything else that springs up in natural conversation. I don't want to, you know, put this podcast in a box and only talk about music or something. There's plenty of other things to life, but I can say without a doubt that music has saved my life and uh, it's probably my favorite thing in the world. So be that as it may, music is one of those things that is so enjoyable to immerse yourself in. That's way more enjoyable than just talking about it all day. So go listen to some bands that you love and enjoy the fuck out of that. And if you want to listen to me talk about music, 
will hit me up, but uh, it's likely that I'm not going to be talking about music for an entire hour every episode of this podcast. If that's what you came here for, I'm deeply, deeply sorry, rather sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Well, y'all, I think that is about it for this second episode of the Riffs or Die podcast. Thanks a lot for tuning in. And uh, if you want to support this show further, please tell your friends about it. Subscribe to it. Go to the YouTube page. Subscribe there. And if you're really feeling generous and interested in hearing more, you can go to patreon.com slash riffs or die. And you can sign up for like a monthly hangout on Zoom. You could ask me anything you want in real time. You could moon me. You could show me your bug collection. You could draw caricatures of me in real time. You could watch me pick my nose. And you might even get to watch me floss. And I don't even know yet if I'm talking about the tooth thing or if I'm talking about the dance. You're just going to have to find out. Anyways, there's a lot of cool things that you'll be able to get access to only through the Patreon. So go there if you're really interested and sign up. Patreon.com slash riffs or die. Thanks a lot. If you made it this far into episode number two, you are a champion of the universe. And I salute you, sir. Or madam, or dear, or miss, or I'm sorry, did I just assume your gender? I am really sorry for that, everybody. Um, Hopefully no one's too offended by the end of this podcast. If you are, um, you know, you just need to grow a pair. And I'm not specifying what that pair of things is. So you, you can't get offended. You can grow a pair of whatever you like because it's a free country, goddammit. I'll talk to you all next week. Have a great rest of the week. Toodle-oo!